I don't think that they were even close to ready for the night that it went down. Those shepherds living out in the fields near Bethlehem, keeping watch over their flocks. I, I don't think in the least they were ready for that angel to stand in front of them. I don't think that they were ready at all for the glory of the Lord to show around them or for the announcement, the good news that they would hear, or for the sky to be filled with God's army of angels singing the praises of God for what, he had, ju- what had just taken place. I don't, think, I don't think at all that those shepherds living out in that field near Bethlehem were ready for the night that the world and their lives and their eternities would change forever. In fact, I'm convinced of it that they weren't ready for the night that it went down. And neither was a man named John McKeever. It was Christmas Eve, 1944, and John McKeever, along with 2,200 other infantrymen, were aboard a a ship called the SS Leopoldville, a Belgian troop carrier in World War II. The ship, it was sailing out of of Southampton, England, and was destined for, for Cherbourg, France. And their goal was to deliver infantrymen, these 2,200 infantrymen, as reinforcements for, for what would later become known as the, the Battle of the Bulge. Now, John McKeever, he was a very devout Christian man, and before he was deployed to the European theater for World War II, his grandfather came to him with a gift. His grandfather said as he placed the gift in his hand that this is going to be a gift that brings light in the midst of darkness. It's going to be a gift that brings peace in the midst of the harsh reality of war. It's going to be a gift. In fact, it's inscribed on this gift. It's a gift meant to keep you safe. So John opened this slightly heavy gift, and it was a steel-plated pocket Bible. It was a gift that he treasured very dearly. In fact, throughout the whole time he served in the European theater, he kept that Bible right here, right here in his jacket pocket above his heart, including that night he was on the SS Leopoldville. These men on that ship that Christmas Eve in 1944, they tried their best to, to celebrate Christmas. But that's hard, right, when you're in the, a ship in the midst of the English Channel, in the midst of war. Some men read the familiar account of Luke chapter 2 that you just heard, the Christmas narrative. Others prayed silently to themselves. Still others, they just gathered and partook in general merriment. But at some point during the night, something amazing happened. Most of these servicemen joined together in a chorus of what is probably the best-known cradle carol, a carol that we'll, we will later sing tonight, Silent Night. And for the briefest of moments, this carol, it provided them a reprieve. A reprieve from the harsh realities of war, a reprieve from thinking about the mission that they were about to go take part in. But what these men didn't realize that as they were singing Silent Night, there was danger, silent danger lurking in the waters below in the English Channel. You see, below them in those dark waters was the Nazi U-boat 486. And as it pulled within range of the Leopoldville, It launched a torpedo, and it struck that ship straight in its side, blowing a hole straight through its hull. John McKeever, he he felt and heard the explosion, and he rushed to the top of the deck. And that's when he realized he was in trouble. As he ran from port to starboard sides of the ship, he saw nothing but a massive hole with water rushing in and dead bodies floating out. As he looked out into the horizon, he could see the lights of Cherbourg, France, off off in the distance seven miles Those were the only lights that he could see. There were no rescue ships coming. Christmas Eve 1944 was a night that John McKeever was never ready for. He was never ready for the night that it went down. As I stand before you this evening celebrating Christmas 2020, I've allowed myself 
to be given to the notion to reflect on these past 12 months. Because this past year, 2020, has, has been the year that none of us were ready for, right? To be quite honest, it's been a year where, it's, at least for me, I felt like I've been on this ship with a torpedo-sized hole in its hull that has done nothing but sink and sink and sink. Quite frankly, it's been the year that everything has gone down, right? This year, more than any other that I've been alive, and perhaps more than any other that you've been alive, we've been made viscerally aware of how broken this world actually is, haven't we? In, a very, in very, very real ways. Ten months ago, the, the torpedo of COVID-19 hit this world, and it has been wreaking havoc ever since. It's touched the lives of those that we love and taken the lives of hundreds of thousands of people. It's fundamentally changed the way we live and work and interact with each other and even the way that we have to worship. And just when we think things are taking a turn for the better, when things are going to stop sinking just a little bit, then the numbers in Mecklenburg County tick up just a little bit more. And, and even just this past week, a new strain of this novel coronavirus was discovered overseas. This past year, the, the torpedoes of social and racial tension struck countless cities across our country doing untold mental and physical and emotional damage. The torpedo of isolation has hit not only us, but those in the world. And do you know the damage that it's done? Studies have shown that there has been a rise, an untold rise of depression and anxiety, an untold rise in substance abuse and suicide, an untold rise in the breakdown of families and divorce. We look out there and we see how broken the world is. But that's not the only place we see brokenness, is it? Because we see it right, right here. I see it every single day that I look at myself in the mirror. When I look at myself in the mirror, the reflection I see staring back at me is a man who is slowly sinking. I see a reflection of brokenness. Sure, I see a man who tries to live a life that is God-pleasing, who tries to do good, who tries to, to be right with God, but, but along with those attempts, I also see a man who fails more often than he succeeds. And sometimes I can't even stare at that reflection that is staring back at me. Because when I actually look at that reflection, I'm come to the, I come to the realization that I failed as a husband to my wonderful and beautiful wife. I failed as a friend to people who need it most. I failed as a pastor to care for the people that God has entrusted to my care. I see a reflection of failure and brokenness. And if you're honest with yourselves, it's a reflection that you see in the mirror too. You see, sometimes you see good things, right? It's not all doom and gloom. Sometimes you see good things when family comes around. You see good things in the mirror when you do the right thing occasionally. But, but as soon as you see that good reflection, it quickly dissipates into a reflection that is filled with failure and fear and remorse and guilt. Remorse and guilt over the relationships that you ruined by mistakes. Remorse and guilt over the problems that you can't rectify, the mistakes that you can't fix. Like me, you see a reflection. A reflection of brokenness and failure. Now, instead of tonight just admitting that you feel those feelings or, or that those feelings exist, I want you to ask yourself why. Why does it feel like we are failing all the time? Why does it feel like we are doing nothing but sinking? Why is it that we carry around in our hearts and in our lives this incredible baggage of guilt and remorse? Well, the answer to that question is actually found in the first night that it went down, way back in the Garden of Eden. 
travel back to the Garden of Eden and you have the pinnacle of God's creation, Adam and Eve living in the magnificence of this garden that God created for them. You have them living in the beauty of a perfect relationship, not only with each other, but with God. But then came that dark night that it went down. And in that dark night, through a single act of selfish disobedience, Adam launched a torpedo called sin into the world. And it struck the hull of God's perfect creation, blowing it wide open. And out of that hole rushed perfection, and into that hole rushed sin and all of its consequences. The guilt and the remorse, the decay, the death. I mean, and this is why. This is why when we look out at the world, we see nothing but brokenness. It's why when we look in the mirror, we see a reflection that is failure and guilt and remorse. Because since that day, that first night that it went down, we have been suffering under the consequences of sin. We've been suffering with the guilt and the remorse and the death and the decay. And whether you've thought about it in, the, in a context like that or not, I think on some level, all of us admit that to be true. I mean, this is the reason why we long for something, for anything this past year to change. It's why we search in the recesses of the four corners of this globe for any sort of good news, hoping that it's going to fix the way we feel or fix some of the brokenness out in the world. I mean, just a few weeks ago, we heard about that, that vaccines that had passed those medical trials, right? And we heard that they were going to be dispersed into the world, but, but then that good news quickly dissipated when we find out that those vaccines aren't going to be widely available to sp till spring at the earliest. Just this past Tuesday, we heard news there, Monday, Monday night, Tuesday, I can't remember which one, we heard news that the Congress had passed a new stimulus package. That's good news, right? Until you realize that the unemployment benefits run out and the beginning of April and that $600 stimulus check is going to quickly run out and not even begin to help people dig out of the mountain of debt that they've gone into since, well, since the world shut down. We search for good news and we hope that this good news, it fixes the problems and the brokenness, not only in the world, but in our own hearts, but the kind of good news that humanity searches for and finds. Well, it acts kind of like a band-aid that you try to slap onto a torpedo-sized hole in the hull of a ship thinking that it's actually going to do something. But the minute that you slap that Band-Aid in that torpedo-sized hull, it does nothing but wet water rush right by it. And the, sink, the, the ship keeps sinking. The problem with this kind of good news, and the reason that that good news never really does anything for us, was because it doesn't actually address the reason. It doesn't actually address the, the problem that causes all of the brokenness, both in the world and in our hearts, and in the absence of any sort of good news, any sort of good news that will actually fix the problems that you and I face in this world and in our own lives, well, then everything feels absolutely hopeless. And that's exactly how John McKeever felt as he stood on, that sh on the deck of that sinking ship. As the, as the ship continued to sink, he continued to look onto the horizon, look through the darkness for anything, for anything that was going to help but there was nothing. And the ship, it kept having water rush into it and bodies float out of it. And standing on that deck of that sinking ship, he felt like all hope was lost. Until, until off the port side of that ship, he saw it. He saw a light, a distant light in the darkness. And seeing that light changed everything for McKeever. And though there were no rescue boats coming from Cherbourg that night, was prowling the English Channel, a British or an English destroyer, the HMS Brilliant. And it heard, it heard that distress call from the Leopoldville, and it came to its aid. 
And soon that distant bright light manifested itself into a ship next to the Leopoldville. The problem was the only way for those men on the Leopoldville that were quickly sinking was to jump. And to compound that problem, the swells in the English Channel that night were 25 to 30 feet tall. They had to time their jump just perfectly in order to make it to safety, but they didn't really have another choice, did they? It was jump or die. And so McKeever made his choice, and it was to jump. And while the Leopoldville crested one of those 25-foot swells and the HMS Brilliant was down below, he jumped. Thud. He lands safely on the deck of the HMS Brilliant, cracking only a few ribs. Christmas Eve 1944 was a night that he was never ready for. And it was a night that it all went down. Well, at least the Leopoldville did. But seeing that distant, bright light, it changed absolutely everything for McKeever. Because seeing that light meant life. It meant salvation. It meant hope. And hope is exactly what those shepherds who are living in the fields near Bethlehem, keeping watch over their flocks by night, that's exactly what they were given that night. It was a night they were never ready for. It was a night they had no idea was coming. And yet when the angel stood in front of them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and the, the angelic army of God filled the sky to proclaim the praises of God, they knew that that meant one thing and one thing only, that this was the night that it was going down, that God was keeping his promise. But it meant much more than just something going down. You know, everything that happened that night that first Christmas night, it meant that God was coming down. That God was coming down to bring peace and life and salvation and hope. Hope for a world that is sinking in sin and drowning in death. I mean, when the angels, they, when, they, or when those shepherds first saw everything, the angels that, that appeared before them and hearing the good news and the glory of the Lord, these men were terrified. I mean, Luke admits as much when he, when he literally says they feared a great fear, but so quickly, that angel of the Lord, he assuages all of their fears. He says, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This, this is good news. This good news was the hope upon which the faith of countless generations had hung. This good news was the news that the angels had waited for century after century to announce to the world. They had waited so long since the time that God had made that first promise of a Savior to fallen Adam and Eve. This good news is what caused those angels to fill the Judean sky, to burst through time and space, and to grace humanity with the most beautiful song that this world has ever heard. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. But what makes that news good news? Why send an angel to announce news like this? Why fill the sky with angels for news like that? Why should we, as 21st century Christians living over 2,000 years after that news was announced, why should we care at all about that news? Well, here's why. Because it is that news it is that news that is not a band-aid that you slap on the side of a torpedo-sized hole to keep water from rushing in, completely meaningless and ineffective. This good news is far different from any, any kind of the news that you and I would search for in a world that is broken. Because this good news, this good news actually brings you 
hope. This good news addresses the problem that you and I have and actually gives us the solution. This good news announces to you and promises to you life and salvation and peace and real hope. Because that good news announced that this was the night that the world and lives and hearts and eternities were changing. The night that it went down. The night that God came into this world taking on flesh and blood to rescue you and me from, drowning, from sinking in sin and drowning in death. This is exactly what was announced to those shepherds. This beautiful, good news. That night, had the HMS Brilliant not showed up on the English Channel to rescue those who were stuck in the Leopoldville, do you know what the death poll would have been? 2,200. If God that first night had not come down. Do you know what the death toll would be then? Far greater than 2,200. Far too great of a number to count. Because all of us, men, women, and children, would be sinking in our sin and lost, drowning in death forever. But our God, your God, would not abandon us to hell. And instead, he made good on his promise and announced the good news the miracle and the mystery of the incarnation, God taking on flesh and blood to rescue you from your sin and from your death. And so that angel announces to you the same way that he announces to the shepherds. He announces to you in a hope, in a world that is completely hopeless. He says to you, in the town of David, a savior has been born. A savior who is just like you, born of a woman, taking on flesh and blood, a savior who is your brother. That angel announces to you that in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. A baby wrapped in cloths and placed in a feeding trough, born under the same law of God that you and I are, that we can't keep and that fills us with remorse and guilt. That angel announces to you that today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. And that promise means for you that that night, the night that it went down, the night that God came down, that God became Emmanuel, that God became God with you. And this is the promise that gives you hope. And it's the hope that you never have to walk through the brokenness and the darkness of this world ever alone. On this night, in the midst of a hopeless and dark world, the angel announces to you the same way that he announced to those shepherds, today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. From time and eternity, that baby born in Bethlehem was anointed to be the one to stand in your place before the holy, perfect God. From time and eternity, that baby born of Mary was anointed to take all of the sin that exists in your heart, all of the evil you have ever done, all of the guilt and the baggage that you carried through that door tonight, and to take it onto himself and to do away with it. That the angel announces to you that that baby wrapped in cloths and placed in a manger was placed there for a singular reason to die the death that you deserve so that you would never have to. That Savior, born in Bethlehem, Christ the Lord, is your Savior. And he lived and he died and he rose again to defeat sin, to defeat your death, to defeat Satan, and to launch them back to hell from where they came. Because of what this Savior came into this world to do for you, now your God says to you, all of those sins that haunt you in this life, they're forgiven. And your slate is wiped clean. 
Because of what that Savior born in Bethlehem did for you, your God says to you all of that guilt and that baggage that you carried not only through those doors tonight, but in every aspect of your life, it's forgotten. Because of what that Savior born in Bethlehem did for you, your God now says to you that fear of what comes next, a fear that is born completely out of hopelessness, I've taken it away because you are mine. You are an heir to heaven and eternal life is yours, period. This is the good news that the angels announced to those shepherds that night. It was good news that offered them hope, a hope that is real. It is good news that fundamentally changed their hearts and their lives and their eternities. It changed the world. And it does the same exact thing for you tonight, 22,000 years later. And here's why. Because tonight, when you go home and you get ready for bed and you stare in that mirror, you no longer see a reflection that is condemned to die, to drown in sin and death forever. Instead, what you see is a reflection of a person who is declared holy and righteous and innocent before the one true God. You see a reflection of a person who has forgiveness engraved in their hearts and eternity branded on their souls. Because of what that Savior did for you that night in Bethlehem, because of that, your God now says to you that you have absolutely nothing to fear in this world. That there is nothing in this life or the next that you have to fear. And whatever Satan tries to launch at you, be it pandemic or persecution, be it hatred or hardship, be it even death itself, your God says that you don't have to fear because you have the good news that is hope. Hope that is real. Hope that is secure. Hope that is found wrapped in swaddling cloths and placed in a manger for you. Hope that is in Christ Jesus, the Savior who says to each and every one of your hearts, your sins are forgiven and heaven stands open for you. This is hope. This is life. You know, that Christmas Eve, 1944, John McKeever and 500 other soldiers were rescued that night from the Leopoldville. After that night, General Eisenhower actually changed their, their battle plan. And so instead of sending them to the Battle of the Bulge, instead he sent them further up the French coast, where they were to cut off supply lines to the German U-boats, like the one that had sunk the Leopoldville. John McKeever fought valiantly in, on the front lines of that French coast until the day he was shot. He was shot right here, right in his chest. He should have died that day. But he didn't. And what I'm about to tell you sounds like the stuff of legend. And I would, have think it, I would think it is too if I didn't have the story from the grandson and a picture of the Bible itself. But in that breast pocket of, that, of his jacket was that steel-plated Bible that his grandfather had given him all those years ago that engraved on it said, may this keep you safe. And that bullet that was meant for his heart hit that Bible and saved his life. That night, the word of God, it literally saved John McKeever's life. Friends, in this life, you and I, we are going to continue to live in a world that is drowning in, in sin and death. And Satan is going to continue to launch torpedo after torpedo at you, wishing that he could sink you. But a wish is about the best he could do, because on that first Judean Christmas, your God came down and took on flesh and blood, and he promises you to real hope. And today, those promises that the God made those shepherds are just as real for you in the 21st century, the promise of peace and life 
and salvation. And those promises are in Christ Jesus. And when a promise is made in the eternal Son of God, it's unbreakable. So tonight I pray. I pray that like Mary, you treasure up this promise and the hope that it gives you in your heart. That today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Amen.